Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. In Psalm chapter 10, verse 2, it says, The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in their plots which they have devised. And something we see throughout Scripture is when people make plans to go against God or go against God's people, oftentimes these things will come back on their own head. Haman, his plan is going to come back on his own head. And that's what happens with evil plans. Uh, Plans where God would say, I'm not in those plans with you. In your faith, have you ever been under attack from non-believers? Have you ever felt vulnerable to people who are actively trying to tear you down? In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know that no matter how successful your enemies may be, God will always prevail in the end. There is nothing that can stand in God's way, and He wants to be your refuge. Let Him lead you to glorious heights that you have never experienced before. Find your divine purpose and make a lasting impact for God's kingdom. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Esther chapter 4 as he continues his message, Good Plans versus Evil Plans. I could understand kind of getting cold feet and saying, yeah, I think one more night. Either way, whatever it was that she did this, she put it off for another day. We don't know why for certain. Here's a few suggestions. One, she wanted time to ingratiate herself with the king. If you guys remember from earlier in Esther chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, remember when when uh, Mordecai first told her, she said, look, I, the king hasn't called me in his presence for 30 days. And so some believe that somehow maybe she, possibly she had fallen out of favor, out of great. We don't know that. But, you know, if you think about it, if that's the queen and he haven't asked to see you for 30 days, um, if I don't talk to my wife for 30 days, this it's a pro, 30 minutes, but 30 days is a problem, right? It's definitely a problem. So, you know, maybe that's one possibility. She's like, let me, let me, let me get with him for a minute and, and, you know, just ingratiate him. That's, that's a possibility. Um, next it, it just, that her courage failed, right? That she just got scared, got cold feet, uh, when she was confronted with the situation. Another possibility is she wanted to build up an element of suspense, and impress upon the king that her business was very important. And so uh, maybe she's building up the suspense. That, that That's a possibility. Uh, another is that she wanted to inflate Haman's pride um, and catch him off guard before she exposes him. Uh, all of these are possibilities. You know, it may be a mixture of all of that. We don't know. But all we do know is this. She, did, she couldn't get it out the first time. Um, but she's got a plan. Uh, it's an important plan. She's trying to, she wants to do a good thing. And yeah, it's scary. It's a difficult thing that she's doing. So now, now we kind of turn to Haman. But the last thing I want to say about Esther and what God is doing in her life, God has set her up, positioned her to be able to possibly save the entire Jewish people. Um, But it's requiring of her to take steps of faith. It's requiring of her to overcome her own fear. And I would just say this to us. If if anything that you're going to do for God is going to require that you overcome fear, Right. God doesn't. God never. This is this is the difficult thing about walking with the Lord. God never calls us to do easy things. Y'all know that God always calls us to do things that are beyond what we can do without his help. Always. God tells Moses, Moses, I want you to be a spokesman. Moses like, Lord, I I stutter. 
God's like, I, I, knew, I knew that when I picked you, bro. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you what you need. Um, one of my favorites is Gideon. God tells Gideon, Gideon is, 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 is threshing wheat in the wine press, hiding from the Midianites because they keep punking him and taking the food. He's doing the most cowardice thing you can do, trying to, trying to thresh wheat in secret. And God says, hey, 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 Gideon, you mighty man of valor. That would be like watching somebody get bullied and then say, hey, what's up, tough guy? You know, why are you getting bullied, right? God calls him a mighty man of valor because he would be. God says, you're going to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And, and, and Gideon said, Lord, look, I'm from, I'm, I'm from the weakest tribe of Israel. I'm the, weakest, I'm the weakest tribe, the weakest family, the weakest family from the weakest tribe. I'm the weakest one from the weakest family and the weakest tribe. And God says, that's my guy. I'm going to do it through you, right? This is what God does. And in, in, in our weakness, he becomes strong. Amen. His strength is made perfect in weakness. God picks the weak things of the world that confound the wise. That's what he does. And so here, of all the people that could deliver the Jews, he could have picked some bad, you know, warrior guy. He could have, he could have raised up a warrior. He's got a pretty, he got a, he's got a model. He got a runway model. She's going to be the one to deliver Israel at this time. Um, that's who God has raised up in this moment in history to do this work. And so now let's, let's switch gears, uh, to the, to the boogeyman of our, our story. Uh, verse nine, we're going to look at Haman again. And when I say Haman, you say, all right. <laughs> verse nine. So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him. He was filled with indignation against Mordecai. So when it says that Haman went out. So he, when Haman left the, the, this banquet, knowing that he's been invited back for the banquet tomorrow, I mean, he's inflated. He's like, man, I am, I am important around this part right here. He walked out of there full of joy. It says joyful and with a glad heart. Let me explain that the joy that Haman feels it's not the joy that God gives. There's a difference, right? The joy that he's experienced here, if you look up the word joyful here, it means glad or merry hearted. Um, it's like happiness. But you, you know the thing about happiness, right? Happiness is dependent upon what's happening. And so if you found a lottery ticket on the floor and you went to see if it was anything on it and you won a million dollars, you would be what? You'd be happy. If you went to go cash it in and you got cashed out and somebody robbed you for all of it, you would be what? Unhappy. It would be just like that. I was happy. Now I'm unhappy. That's that's how happiness works. Joy is different. The joy that God gives is rooted in your relationship with the Lord. And so that's why Paul could write a letter about joy, the book of Philippians, while he was in jail for serving God because his joy was rooted in not how they were treating him, not where he was located. His joy was rooted in his relationship with the Lord, which is unchanging. So the joy that Haman feels here, this is just happy. Um, he leaves. He probably had a few drinks. He feeling prideful and good. He's like, oh, man, I feel great about life right now. I, you know, things are going good. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very important guy. But here's look at how fast it goes away. When he gets outside, everybody bowed down. Everybody gave him respect. And then he saw Mordecai. Mordecai, and it says, Mordecai, I love Mordecai, man. It said, Mordecai was in the king's gate, and it says that he didn't stand or tremble, right? He didn't stand up. He also didn't show any sign of respect. I wish I could see, but I envisioned Mordecai 
with his arms crossed, just 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 eyeballing him like <laughs> I, that's what I envisioned. And maybe it was nothing like that. Maybe he was way humbler than I am, you know. But Mordecai is like, man, I'm not giving no respect to this guy whatsoever. And so it says that he was filled with indignation against Mordecai uh, because he would not bow or respect him or tremble in his presence. Look at verses 10 through 12. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told of the great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. So Haman goes home, you know, he has a little encounter with Mordecai. He, he restrains himself in that moment, Haman does. And he gets home to his wife, Zeresh, and his friend. And he tells them how well things are going. He says, guys, look, things are going great for me. I've been promoted by the king. I got all this extra money. I got, I mean, he's, he's telling them of all that, 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 that has happened for him, how great everything is. But I want you to note this. It says, everything in which the king had promoted him, how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants. Moreover, verse 12, Haman said, besides Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet and she, that she prepared. And tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. And so with all of this that's going in his life that he should be, would you guys agree? Haman should be happy, right? He should be a happy man. If you got a promotion, a lot of money, a high position, you're being treated well. I mean, he should be happy with that, but he's not. It says in verse 13, yet all this avails me nothing. So long as I see Mordecai, the Jew sitting at the King's gate. If, if somebody can have that much power over you, you have a problem. Right. If everything could be going right in your world, but then that person right there. Oh, when I see them. Oh, when I see a post about them. Oh, when their name pops up in Congress. If you have that going on, know that you are sinfully bitter and you need help. You need to go confess it and get counseling and get over that. No, nobody should have that kind of power to steal away. If everything is going right and then one person don't like you, your world crumbles you got a you got a wrong focus in this life, amen. Uh, I, I want to free us up as believers. This is how it's supposed to go as a believer. You should be able to be good as long as one person is good with you. Who is that? That's it. Now, as long as you walk out the door and you like me and the Lord are good, then everybody else can deal with it. Everybody else can. I, I, I you know I hope I'm if I'm good with God, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be good with some people, but I'm not gonna be good with everybody. If I'm good with God, some people are going to like me in that condition. And some people are not going to appreciate it, but I'm good with God. That's what we, that's, that's what I must be is good with the Lord. And as I'm good with the Lord, I find, Hey, I'm also good with these guys that are good with the Lord. Praise the Lord. I enjoy them, but, but nobody should have this kind of power over your life. This just goes to show you guys that there's no amount of stuff that's going to satisfy Haman. He has everything that you could want, and but I don't have one guy's respect, and so I'm just not happy without that. I gotta have it. And and then to check this out. He wants the respect so bad, he's willing to annihilate an entire group of people. That's just a, that's a level of wickedness there. Like I want respect so bad that if if you won't respect me, never mind wiping you out. I'm gonna wipe out your whole group. 
imagine, I mean, how many of us know a bad person of any race? How many of y'all know a bad black person? Raise your hands. I know them. I'll point some out if you want me to, all right? I mean, <laughs> a bad white person, a bad Mexican person, a bad Asian person. Imagine that, you know, I, I have a bad encounter with a, a whoever, and I'm like, you know, they all got to die. That's, that's, that's essentially what he's, they all, if, if, if one don't, if I don't like that one, I'm wiping them all out, you know? So that's essentially what uh, Haman is seeking to do here. Thankfully, the Jewish people are whose people? And there have been many attempts to wipe out the Jewish people and who preserves them every time? The Lord. And so thank, thankfully, they belong to the Lord and, you know, God has a plan and God is going to override the wickedness of this man, Haman. We won't see it all today, but I want you to see the wicked plan that Haman and his wicked, raggedy wife, because she's raggedy, come up with. Look at verse 14 now. It said, then his wife, Zeresh, and his friends said to him, let a gallows be made 50 cubits high. And in the morning, suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet and the thing pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. So this dude's raggedy wife, when he came home, she should have said, boy, fix your face. All you got going on, right? One man, not you know, bowing to you. She should have put him in his place. Right. But she said, you know what, Haman, that Mordecai, you know what you should do. What you ought to do is make a gallows 50 cubits high. And in the morning, just go in tomorrow morning, tell the king, hey, can we hang Haman? Can we hang Mordecai on the gallows and then go on to the banquet? You have a great day after you kill this guy. Like, I, I don't know about y'all. I hope I hope for the wives that are, I hope y'all don't give counsel. That's bad counsel. That's a bad wife, right? She's giving, he's a bad husband. She's a bad wife. They deserve each other. And they're going to get what they deserve before the book is over with. But that's what they suggest. His wife and his friends suggest make a gallows to kill him on. So, I titled the chapter Good Plan Versus Evil Plans, and I want you to check this out, right? Look at Esther. Esther had to make a plan. My plan to save people's lives. It's risky. I could die. I'm going to spend three days fasting. I'm going to fast. My maidens are going to fast. Mordecai and all the people in Sushan are going to fast. Then I'm going to take my life into my own hands. I'm going to go before the king, and I'm going to see if he might grant me permission to come before him. And when he does, I'm going to do what I can do to try to save the Jewish people. Now, she didn't get it out yet, but Esther has a plan to save. Would you guys agree that's a good plan? It's a good plan. She's got plans to do good. It's costly. It's risky. But God's with her. And we're going to see as we continue through the book that God is with her in her good plan. Now, Mordecai has got evil plans. He, he, he's, he's, he hates his man, Mordecai. He's already put a plan in place to annihilate all of God's people. Now he's putting a specific plan in place to, uh, to kill the one guy that really is bugging him the most. I, I want him dead now. I can't wait 11 months for this guy to die. This guy is going to hang on the gallows ripped now and everybody else will get it, you know, in 11 months. That's, that's where Haman is at in this situation. And so I want you to think about this, a, a gallows, this, this will require effort. Um, they would have to build it. They got to build this by tomorrow, right? He just went home at the end of the day. They said, you know what? Let's get that built tonight. Cause I'm going to go before the King in the morning and get permission to hang him on it before the banquet with Esther tomorrow. And so I want you to see that people with evil plans work hard too, but he's putting all this effort and all this energy into something that God says, I'm not with you in this, right? If you're a person that, you know, making evil plans, right? That God's not a part of, we're going to see in this situation that, you know, it's going to all come back on him. 
But don't spend your energy, your time, your talent, your money on something at the end of the day that you know God's not in it with you. God's not in this with him. Uh, and it's going to be shown as we go through it. But I, I got a few verses. If you're note takers, I hope that you all are. I want you to write these verses down. Write them down in your notes. Write down Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. Look what it says. These are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Look at this, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. You want to know those verses, right? God is saying, look, there's, if God is letting us know he hates a few things, and he makes a list of them. You ought to be aware of those things and make sure you're never living out that list. Amen. And so that's Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 19. Next, in Micah chapter 2, verse 1, uh, the prophet pronounced a woe. He says, woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. He says, woe to those, pronounce a curse, a woe on those who lay in their bed coming up with evil plans that they can wake up and live them out. Over in Psalm, Psalm 21, verse 11 and 12, it says, the psalmist says, for they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore, you will make them turn their back. You will make ready your arrows on your string toward their faces. And the psalmist is just acknowledging, look, they're, they're coming after me, but God is going to get them. They're going to pay for what they're doing. It's not going to work out. Lastly, in Psalm chapter 10, verse 2, it says, the wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in their plots, which they have devised. And something we see throughout scripture is when people make plans to go against God or to go against God's people, oftentimes these things will come back on their own head. Haman, his plan is going to come back on his own head. And that's what happens with evil plans, uh, plans where God would say, I'm not in those plans with you. A few, I think, important lessons from Esther chapter five with our good plans, right? What Esther did and what we all should do with our good plans that we're doing, hopefully they're born out of prayer. They're born out of burden to, to glorify God, to benefit other people. Um, there was time set aside. She didn't rush in. She said, you know what? Fasting. I'm going to spend some time fasting. If there's something you believe God wants to do in your life, I believe that it's worth taking some time to fast and pray about, right? Um, that you would take it seriously. You take that, the thing that you're planning to do, you make it, take it seriously. I believe that, you know, when God sees a group of people fasting and praying that that means something, right? That that's a, that's, you could just pray, but you fasted and praying. God said, wow, this is, this is important. There are times in scripture where God was intending to do something and people fasted and God said, okay, all right, I'm not going to do it. One instance, God told the prophet Jonah, go to Nineveh. He said, tell them 40 days in judgment, right? The Nineveh, I'm judging them in 40 days. The king of Nineveh, when he heard the message, they didn't get a, a message of hope. They didn't get told to repent. They just said 40 days and judgment's coming. The king of Nineveh said, you know what? Maybe, maybe if we fast and pray and repent, God will have mercy on us. 
And it says the king of Nineveh, he made everyone fast. He said, everybody fast. He made the animals fast. He said, the animals ain't eating or drinking. Ain't nobody eating or drinking. Everybody fast. And we're going to see what God does. And when God saw what they had done, it says that God relented uh, from what he had intended to do. He pulled back and he didn't bring the judgment upon Nineveh. God received that as, wow, they've taken this seriously. They're, They're turning. They're responding. And so if you got plans, if there's something that's on your heart to do, Pray about it. Maybe even fast and pray. Set aside time. Even get people to join you. Maybe it's something you're doing with others. Get people to join you and fast and pray about the plans that you're making. I think it's important that we look at our plans and ask these questions. Do my plans come from the Lord? Do my plans glorify the Lord? Do my plans benefit people? Is it a benefit? And and if we can line those things up, what I'm planning to do is a benefit to others. It glorifies the Lord. It came from the Lord. Then, yeah, you can spend your energy, spend your time. Then you won't be wasting time, energy, or effort on those things. But be careful about devising plans to get back at folks. Devise and plan. Don't spend any energy or time creating wicked schemes and wicked plans. Or I'm going to show this person. Maybe somebody did you wrong and you want to get them back. I am the master at this. So I've, I've had to exercise restraint. I am... My whole life, I've been a prankster, right? I am a master prankster. My mind is always thinking in the language of pranks. And so if I can, every once in a while, I'll find someone that'll dare prank me. And I I invite it, right? Because once you started with me, I'm like, oh, you opened the door. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. And so once you open the door, and I don't got to feel guilty about what I do in response, but here's the way pranks go. Wherever you started at, each prank goes higher and higher and higher. And so... For me, I naturally think that way. So I got to be careful when someone does something that really offends me. Because I'm like, well, you know, if, I, if I wasn't saved, I, I could really get you back. You know, I give this example. I had a friend of mine. He's also a pastor. Uh, we used to work at my old church together. My buddy, Steve Pearson, he pastors a church in Utah now. That's one of my best friends. And we had a prank war that, that it just went and went and went. And so I came outside one day. I was getting ready to go home after work. And I had a, a plunger stuck to my window with toilet paper waving. I was like, okay, that's cute. That was a cute little prank. And so what I did the next day, I I broke into his truck. I took an entire roll of duct tape and I went from the steering wheel to under the gas pedal, over the steering wheel, under. So basically the steering wheel wouldn't turn and you couldn't push on the gas to go nowhere. And I I did the whole, I used the whole roll. Then I took, I took a, a, a painter's plastic, put it over his truck and I ran duct tape around his truck there one time. So this is what I did. When he saw what I did, he thought I just did the outside of his truck. So I sat there and waited till he got in. And once once he could see the other thing, and I wrote what I wrote on the tape, I put Inglewood's best theft device. And once he saw that, I pulled off. And I just, <laughs> like, you, you won't be going home anytime soon, buddy, you know. And um, this went on, and it finally culminated with I stole his truck one day. I put a screwdriver in his truck. I stole it and I parked it on the other side of the building. And then finally we just called it truce and we're like, let's just, let's just do, uh, let's get other people, you know, let's just, let's get some other victims here. You know, it is okay to do, I guess if it's friendly, you know, you got someone that can kind of take it. But in general, I know that that part of my nature is bad. Uh, when somebody does something to me, I know God does not want me. Don't get them back. Don't get revenge. But my natural inclination, I got three plans of attack out the gate. 
I just, I got to operate in not to do those things. So y'all pray for me and, uh, and don't fool around. <laughs> don't, don't open no prank door. So we don't want to be guilty of devising evil plans. Amen. But we do like Esther, um, as God gives us guidance, um, everybody's life here, every one of you that's a believer, there is divine purpose on your life. Like Esther, there's something God wants to do in you and with you and through you for his glory. You've been listening to a transforming word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Pastor Bill is making his way through the book of Esther, written with a notably skillful writing style. The author of this book is unknown. However, the art of storytelling is obvious and would have had the readers of the day on the edge of their seats. That's not the only interesting fact we find here. Esther is the only book in the Bible to omit God from every single verse. From the text, it is clear that God is present and is setting up the scenes for each, if you will. But while absent from the writing, his presence is felt in every sequence of events as Esther and Mordecai navigate the many challenges they would face. We see them use courage and conviction of faith in God to ultimately change the rule of power and turn an entire city around and back to God. How are you using the power of your faith in God to influence those closest to you? If you're looking for a community where you'll be supported in love, then come see us at Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. We'll worship and learn together. You can find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. There, you'll find everything you need to know and a lot of bonus materials for personal study. For those of you further away, you can be our virtual guest by connecting via Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where we live stream our Sunday services. And with that, we've come to the end of our time together. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to come again to A Transforming Word.